Go Niners. Good morning, <laughs> again. So, uh, so yeah, we uh, it's Advent season, and uh, for a couple of weeks, the Lord, uh, I've been, you know, actually for over a month now, I've been praying about, Lord, what do you want me to do for Advent season, and just has not given me, you know, any clear direction over the last month, and, uh, you know, Advent is, you know, typically I like to do a sermon series of some sort, you know, kind of focusing on all of that, right, and and uh, excited about Jesus' birth and celebration of that, and, and uh, yeah, nothing came, and then I had some ideas, and then those ideas changed, and anyway, so uh, for Advent season, I don't know what I'm going to be preaching on, but I know what I'm going to preach today, and uh, it doesn't seem like a very Advent message, uh, a, a, a sermon on women in ministry or as women as pastors, but I think it is certainly relevant to where we are as a church today. And um, uh, you know, the, this year has uh, been an interesting year. We we started off, you know, with this realization that we needed some staff. We needed to hire uh, a couple of pastoral staff issue openings that we had to figure out how that was going to happen. You know, who was going to fill those spots? And and certainly the year has not gone gone the way that we expected it to go. And and even the fact that we started out the year we we're going to kind of hire this hybrid joint position, and then God said that we need to split that out. And so now we've hired two separate folks, and, and both of them are women, which again was not our expectation at the beginning of the year. And uh, I remember last year in December, at the end of December, uh, maybe first of January, the elders and I had this conversation as we were ready, getting ready to to post uh, the position that we were hiring for. And and the question was, you know, are, are we okay? Are we open to women in these roles, or is this, you know, are we only going to be looking for a man? And and as we talked through that, uh, there was this, you know, kind of just this consensus that came, even though we. Had had difference, differences of opinion on whether or not that was uh, biblically acceptable or not. Uh, in the end, we felt like it was kind of a gray area, and because it was a gray area, that we were kind of open to it. And, and so we started at that time just to pray, Lord, would you bring whoever it is that you have for us, like whatever that looks like, you know, whether it's male or female, we want to follow you in this. Uh, and, and we just trusted him with that. And, uh, and so it's been, uh, you know, an interesting year as we walked through that. And then as things started to kind of coalesce and we realized, uh, that we we're primarily getting women candidates, we realized that, you know, we probably should maybe kind of prompt or, or prep the, uh, the congregation a little bit for this reality. And so in uh, the first part, of June after, if you'll remember, we had Alliance Council at the end of May, and at the first part of June, I sent out a What's Brewing, just kind of explaining what the what uh, the Alliance's stance was a little bit on, on women in ministry and, and women in the pastoral role and that kind of stuff, because that was a topic that was discussed at Council. And then again in July, when it became evident that we were going to be hiring a woman uh, for, you know, what looked like it going to be now a split role, we, um, we again put out another letter in in July, middle of July or so, first part of July, I believe it was, to kind of more more flesh that out a little bit more to our congregation for you guys to, you know, just kind of
kind of be aware that this is a possibility. At that time, we also made it clear that it, we, we were open to hiring a woman in these roles. And, and our hope was that by doing that, that we would be able to, uh, you know, get a little bit of feedback and to kind of find out and uh, where you are as a congregation and, and kind of what, how you viewed uh, ha- having a woman in a pastoral role. Uh, we did get a little bit of feedback, especially after the July uh, uh, letter that went out. And, uh, you know, s- several folks that just expressed concern. And so we were able to meet with them and kind of talk through their, their concerns and, and interact with them in the bet, a bit and be able to hear their hearts, but also for us to share our hearts and where we were on it. And, and those conversations were great and they were very good. Uh, however, there wasn't necessarily a, a coming together where we, we, we agreed with each other. There was still this reality uh, with at least a couple of them that there was a difference of opinion. So now we get to this point where we're at now where the hire has been made and, and now we, not only do we have Becky as our uh, next-gen director, but we have hired a woman, Jesse Wolski, as our uh, associate pastor. And so uh, the reality is now upon us, in essence. Uh, some of us may have could have said, well, it's, you know, it's just Becky. We know Becky, and also she's, you know, working with the youth. And so that's, that's a different thing. And so associate pastor, well, that's, that's you know, okay, that's a different level. And, and so I just, after conversations with several different people this last week, really just felt like there's a lot, there's some questions that are kind of lingering out there. Not necessarily people that are uh, opposed to it completely, but they're at least in part opposed and trying to figure out what what should they, where their position is on it. And so as a result of that, I feel like it's time for me to go ahead and, and address this a little bit. Um, but, but in doing so, understand, uh, you know, that you know, this is such a huge issue. It's impossible really to, to to fully address the two different sides uh, and, and go through all of the the, uh, the Greek and all of the <laughs> hermeneutics and all of the exegesis to try to do this in a sermon in one week. Uh, you could you could preach uh, a whole series on this topic, and and I just we're not going to we don't have time to do it, and we're not going to do it today. Um, but also, I think, uh, you know, understand that, you know, I am not, I, I, I do not feel like I'm an apologist. There's, there's some who are really good at, step, you know, defending the faith, right? And they're apologists and, you know, they get out there and they can take all the questions and they can, they can just, you know, have responses and they're ready to go. That's, that's not my gifting. That's not my skills. That's not my skill set, right? And so, uh, so even this message, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I feel really out, uh, it's out of my comfort zone to even kind of walk through this because it's just not not the, you know, the way I typically would approach different things and different issues, even theological issues. And so I, I'm trying to, uh, you know, be, just be honest with you at the beginning of this, but, but also I, there's, you know, this is not going to answer all of your questions. My hope in this message is to, to answer some of the questions. Uh, the purpose of today's message is not to give a full defense of our denomination's position or the elder board or my position on women as pastors. It is to help those unfamiliar with the key arguments to increase their understanding. It is to help to clarify the alliance's stance and to address some false perspectives about this disposition. It is, uh, it is to consider what hiring a woman associate pastor will in actuality mean for our church. And it is my hope that this message will help us to embrace Jesse more fully and help us to come together in unity, even if some of us are still uncomfortable with it. 
We are in a time when the evil one is working hard to bring division, and this is certainly a topic that he'd love to use for his purposes. Understand this year as well has been hard for me because I have two competing voices in my head. One of those voices is people please. Um, I don't like people not liking me. Uh, when I find out somebody doesn't like me, I work really hard to change their mind. Um, it, it's, it, I, I don't like disappointing people. I, don't li- I mean, this is common for human beings, I think, in, in large part, but especially, I think, for people, men and women in my role, uh, we have a real struggle with that as well. I want us all to get along, right? I, I want us to be able to agree. I want us to be able to fellowship. And, and, and I just love people, right? I, I love to interact. With, I don't, you know, in some sense, I don't care what your views are, right? I mean, I, I just like, let's just get together. Let's just worship God. Let's just have whatever. Let's go, right? You know? And so that's a competing voice with the other voice that is, um, that is committed to be stubborn with my own perspectives of how things should be or are. The stubbornness in me says, if you disagree with me, well, that's your problem. Deal with it. The stubbornness in me, it it tends to always fall on my own thinking and my own perspectives. The stubbornness in me is uh, not easily convinced that someone else's perspective is correct. I've always got an answer. I've always got a a way to debate that, and I'll never give up. Um, And so these competing voices have been uh, in battle all year long, but especially this fall, just over this topic. Those who have concerns and have expressed those concerns, I love them. I so want to, I, I just want to say, okay, let, you know, let's just do it your way. That's fine, right? I, that's, that's kind of what I want to do. But then there's this other side of me that says, no, wait a second. I just, my conviction is that that's not where we're to be. And, and so there's this constant battle in me. Uh, and I just want to be honest about that as well. Uh, that you guys would recognize that, you know, this is not, you know, this has been thought about, this has been thought through. Uh, It's not been, you know, last second. Uh, It's not meant to to offend. Uh, We, you know, in hindsight, maybe this message should have happened a long time ago. Maybe it should have happened in the spring. Maybe it should. I, I, I don't know. We were trying to discern that. It didn't seem like it. And so we haven't done it until now. But uh, so I just admit as well that, you know, there's probably mistakes that we've made in this process of communication, of trying to help you to understand what's going on. And so, uh, and there's also recognition that there's some of you here going like, Sean, just get on with it. Like, who cares, right? Let's, I'm good with this. Let's go. Uh, and you may be even new to our church and going, what is going on here? Is this a, this is a big rift going on? And I, no, I, I don't think this is a big rift. This is just, uh, I think, a coming to understand a topic that is highly debated uh, and trying to figure out where we as a church are going to walk in this uh, and, and where the leadership is leading us in this and where I'm, I feel like God is leading me to lead you in this. And so, uh, anyway, I, I hope this is encouraging. I hope this is helpful. I hope this uh, uh, will make sense. Um, I've written it out because that's where I typically do, especially on technical, I call technical messages like this. Uh, and so you'll have to endure uh, me reading it. Hopefully I can do a good job of that as well. So with all of that to say, let's jump in. 
It seems to me there are two big biblical concerns when it comes to whether women should be allowed to serve as pastors. The first is simply determining what ministries in general are acceptable for women to do in the church. The second is whether or not they can have authority over men. Both of these concerns are hotly debated by biblical scholars, although I'd, put myself, I'd not put myself in the scholar category. I do study God's word and can and do read those who are scholars on this topic. Wayne Grudem, John Piper, Scott McKnight, and William J. Webb are some that I have read specifically on this topic, on either sides of this topic. Most importantly, every believer, including myself, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and he is able to reveal what is true. Each of us should seek to know God's word through personal reading, the enlightenment of biblical theologians, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The first area that we are interested in understanding is in regard to what ministries women are allowed to participate in. For some, this seems like a crazy question. What can, what can do, women can do whatever ministry they want to do. For others, this question is a bit more nuanced. There are some passages that seem to limit the areas women can serve. To be precise, while some on the extreme complementarian side would say that women are not allowed to speak in church and therefore extremely limited, the bulk of the debate surrounds whether they can serve as a pastor. Interestingly, those who say women cannot serve as pastors have no specific verse in the Bible to point to that directly makes such a limitation. There is no passage that says, therefore, women cannot serve as pastors. Instead, they build their case in limiting women from this role through extrapolations from other passages. Now, this does not mean that their argument is not valid. There are many convictions we have that are not directly stated in Scripture, but are accepted as right and true. For instance, the Bible does not directly say that God exists in three persons, yet it is clear from multiple passages that the Trinity is true. The question is, why do some say women can't serve as pastors? In short, it seems to me the primary reason is because the pastoral role is equated with the elder role, and elders are only men, based on 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. In these verses, it describes elders as the husband of but one wife, and it seems clear that if women were meant to serve in the role of elder, Paul would have included the wife of but one husband as well. In addition, the complementarians point to 1 Timothy 2.12, where Paul tells Timothy that women are not permitted to teach or have authority over men. From this passage, it makes sense that if a woman is not allowed to teach or have authority, then she can't be a pastor because pastors are elders and elders have authority and are clearly commissioned to teach. While admittedly being a gross oversimplification, this is at least the gist of those who take the position that women are not permitted to serve as pastors. Understand entire books, dozens, or excuse me, entire, yeah, entire books, dozens of books have been written on this topic in an attempt to exegete the key passages. 
But also understand, my purpose today is not to defend or debunk one side or the other. It is simply to help expose those who've not studied the topic to some of the key points. Now, if some, now if some, or perhaps more accurately, most denominations agree that women should not serve in pastoral roles, why does the alliance allow for it? I'll spend a little more time here because it seems many Christians today have only heard the complementarian view. So to be fair, I want to dig a little deeper into the egalitarian response. But ultimately, considering the extensiveness of this view, this is another oversimplification. There are two main reasons some churches have denied the traditional perspective and opened their churches to women pastors. First, just simply based on the vast number of times in the Bible where we see examples of women ministering in what would be considered pastoral ministries. We see in Acts 18, 24 to 26, Priscilla and her husband Aquila taking Apollos and instructing him in the truth of the way. If women aren't to teach, then why would Priscilla be included as a participant in the teaching of Apollos? If it was just her husband who was doing the teaching, why mention Priscilla at all? In addition, Paul, who wrote 1 Timothy, honored a woman apostle, Junia, in Romans 16:7, who was well known among the apostles. Not that the apostles knew her, but that among the apostles, she was one who was well known. There are many other places in the New Testament where women are put in roles of proclaiming God's word or giving testimony to God's will, all of which put them in a position of teaching and preaching. Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings a song after the visiting angel, which is recorded in Luke chapter 1. Mary's proclamation of God's character are part of God's word. Many pastors have preached messages based on Mary's proclamations about God. If women should not be teaching, then why does scripture include a message given by a woman? Mary Magdalene was the first to see the resurrected Jesus, and she was tasked with proclaiming this world-shattering truth to the disciples. Phoebe was the one Paul picked to deliver his letter to the Romans and to read it to those in Rome. These are all instances in Scripture where a woman is called to step into roles where they are teaching, preaching, and proclaiming the Word of God. At the very least, these many examples of women in ministry is a cause to ponder whether or not the complementary stance that women can't serve as pastors is correct. Now, as I said, there are two reasons the Alliance has rejected the idea that women can't be pastors. This second reason is centered at least in part on 1 Corinthians 11:5, which reads, Every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Although this passage is typically used to limit women in ministry, it actually shows that Paul expected that women would not be silent in church, but that they would pray and prophesy in church with men present. Paul's concern in this chapter is the, with the way it is done, not with who is doing it. 
If according to Paul, women can prophesy in church, then it seems clear that women can teach, and if women can teach, they can serve in a pastoral role. These many exceptions to Paul's teaching in Timothy have led to the alliance and others making a distinction between the roles of pastor and elder. It seems that perhaps we've wrongly equated the two and therefore we've sought, and so therefore the alliance has sought to separate them. Not to get too deep into the linguistic weeds, but in Greek, the word translated pastor in English can also be translated shepherd. While elder in Greek is also translated overseer. It is also important to note that only one time in the New Testament is the Greek word for pastor used to define a position. Every other time it is used to describe the task of shepherding. So it's not a pastor, it's the pastoring, the shepherding. Except, of course, when it describes Jesus. He is the chief shepherd who calls us to join him in shepherding. In other words, in large part, the New Testament does not use pastor as a title of leadership, but a ministry for those in leadership. Despite the Bible's focus on the function of shepherding rather than the role of shepherd, in our 21st century church culture, pastor is mostly seen as a title and not a specific type of ministry. It seems to me and to many other Bible scholars that we have equated shepherding and eldering as being one in the same thing when scripture does not do so. If we make a distinction between the two and see shepherding as one of the ministries that elders do instead of as another title that describes their role, the many passages where women serve in pastoring, shepherding roles makes sense. In other words, if shepherding is just one of the ways elders serve the church, they can delegate that task to others. While it may be unacceptable to delegate their responsibilities, it is acceptable to delegate some of the ways they serve. For example, I'm a father to my children, and with that title comes responsibility. It would be wrong for me to totally give away that responsibility to someone else. However, one of the things I do as a father is to help my kids mature and grow in their knowledge and wisdom. While I certainly should be involved in their education, it would be wise for me to elicit the skills of a science teacher, a math teacher, and a music teacher to help develop my kids' understanding and education. In the same way, with the title elder comes tremendous responsibility. One of the key responsibilities is to shepherd the flock. And since it is quite impossible for the elders to care for all the various needs of the flock, it would be wise for them to hire skilled and gifted staff to assist them in shepherding the church. So to be clear, the alliance has separated the title pastor from elder. They no longer are synonymous terms referring to the same position of leadership. Elders are a separate category of leadership that includes the responsibility and authority to guide and care for the church. While this is certainly a debatable conclusion, 
And many biblical scholars have rebutted this perspective and then spent much time going through each of the verses used to support it, one by one explaining how they do not contradict Paul's statements in 1 Timothy. It seems clear to me, our elder board and our denomination, that there's enough here to at least put the forbidding of women serving in pastoral roles in the gray category. It seems honest God-fearing, Jesus-loving, and spirit-led Christians can come down on opposite sides of this topic. Perhaps N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, a New Testament scholar who is viewed as one of the leading experts on Paul, can summarize this for us when he writes in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, Paul clearly doesn't mean that no woman must speak during worship. As is evident in 1 Corinthians 11, it is assumed women will take leadership roles in praying and prophesying just as much as men will. But there's more to consider. If women are able to serve in pastoral roles, what kind of authority do they have? Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13 says women aren't to have authority over men. And the reason he gives is because of the created order of things. Furthermore, Paul continues in 2 Timothy 3 to give the elder role to men, suggesting that men are to be overseers of the church and not women. Complementarian scholars stand firm on the created order described in Genesis chapter 2 as the primary defense that men are to have the responsibility and authority to rule in the home and in the church. Adam being created first, not because he's more valued, but because of God's divine and sovereign will, puts him in the position of overseer of God's creation, including overseer of Eve. Adam's role is distinct in that he is to be an earthly expression of God's protection and provision for creation and for his wife and family. But again, this does not mean Eve and women in general are lesser in value, purpose, or importance in creation. Actually, we see an an interdependence expressed both in the creation account and in Paul's writing about women in the New Testament. In creation, it is not good for Adam to be alone. He did not have all he needed on his own. He needed a helper, which God provided. Furthermore, we see that despite Eve, and by extension all women, being created out of the sight of Adam and therefore dependent on man for their existence... All men after Adam are just as dependent on the women who bore them. This is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 11, 11 and 12, and 1 Timothy 2, 15. Paul is emphasizing the interconnectedness and interdependence men and women have on each other. However, Despite the equality of value and dependence, God has ordained men to be the leaders of their home. In 1 Corinthians eleven three, it states, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. It, there is a, it seems there is a clear authority structure in the Godhead, in the family, and in the church. Now, After leaning to the egalitarian side in the previous concern over women serving in pastoral roles, this time the Alliance and our elder board lean into the complementarian side. 
It seems that the primary leadership responsibility and authority of the church lies with elders, and it seems also that elders are meant to be men. Despite the egalitarians who insist that church authority is not a male role, but simply a leadership role, the alliance is not convinced by their arguments. The criticism of the verses that support male eldership and the explanation that they don't say what it appears they say seems unsatisfactory. Even their insistence that Paul's male headship passages are more about cultural norms than about biblical mandate does not sway our opinion. As a result, the Alliance and our elder board have determined the governing authority of the church will be elected men of the church who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. Putting all this together, we see the Alliance and your elder board and I have sought to remain true to Scripture and to navigate the very real tension that exists between some of these varying passages. Ultimately, it seems to come down to our understanding of the word pastor. If one sees it as synonymous with elder, they will likely believe the Bible forbids women pastors. However, if one recognizes some nuance in pastor and see it more as a ministry rather than a substitute title for elder, they will likely accept women in pastoral roles. The other important piece is that that one needs to determine how to handle the passages that suggest authority in the church lies with the elders, and those elders are meant to be men only. It's possible for some to conclude the male authority is simply based on Rome's male-dominant culture, but also legitimate to see biblical pattern of male headship from Genesis to Revelation. So where does all this leave us? (laughs) Here's how I would summarize our position on women women pastors. The Alliance and your elders and the lead pastor, me, believe the scriptures teach that elders have been given the delegated authority from Jesus to care for his flock. They are to ensure teaching is pure, worship is in spirit and truth, and that every gift in the body is used for edification and building up of the body of Christ. While the role of elder is limited to godly men who meet the biblical requirements, they are to use all the giftings in the church to fulfill their responsibilities. It is not for the elders to do all the ministry in the church, but for them to ensure it gets properly and truthfully and biblically done by qualified individuals. They are, with godly wisdom and spiritual discernment, to select key individuals to serve in secondary leadership roles. Men and women who are gifted in leadership, discipleship, administration, counseling, evangelism, worship, teaching and preaching, and in whatever other role may be needed. The elders maintain the God-given authority and responsibility for the church's health, both organizationally and spiritually. All congregants, including hired staff, are to be in submission to the elder board, respect their spiritual authority to hold them accountable to God, and prayerfully support them as they hold the weight of responsibility for the church. 
Before, before concluding the summary review of women in ministry, let me address a couple of big concerns and criticisms I've heard leveled against the Alliance and other denominations that have made space for women to serve as pastors. There are two main accusations from the hardline complementarians. First, they insist that giving in on the women in ministry issue is a slippery slope that leads to other progressive theologies like affirming homosexuality and transgenderism. While certainly this has been the case with a couple of well-known denominations over the last 10 or 20 years, namely the Lutherans and the Methodists, the women in ministry issue is not the cause. It's the progressive theologians guiding these denominations. The reality is just because progressives tend to be egalitarian doesn't mean that there are no egalitarian conservative theologians. As I quoted earlier, N.T. Wright is one such conservative theologian. The alliance is not leaning on progressive theologians to defend their perspective on women in ministry. One other important point, Women in ministry and affirming homosexuality are not the same thing. A book titled Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals, written by William J. Webb, addresses this very concern. His main point in this book is that there is a redemptive shift from Old Testament to New Testament on how the people of God treat women, moving from more restricted to less restricted over time. But on the other hand, homosexuality is consistently declared sinful in both testaments. In short, there seems to be no consistent treatment of how women can engage in ministry in the church, but there is a strong consistency on the sinfulness of homosexual behavior. As a result, it is theologically legitimate to hold differing perspectives on women in ministry, but not have to follow it up by affirming homosexuality. The second accusation from complementarians is that the alliance is merely capitulating to the culture. They suggest the feminist movement has had its way and has desensitized us to women in leadership roles. The alliance and other churches who accept women as pastors have just caved under the pressure of the pagan culture. While certainly cultural influences should always be a concern and something to be aware of, and in most cases to resist, the alliance has not caved to culture. The alliance has for over 100 years partnered with churches who had women pastors and has sent women onto the mission field to build churches and to teach the truth of God's word. The alliance has not been influenced by the feminist movement over the last 50 years in America. It has been influenced by the convictions of their founder, A.B. Simpson. Let's shift gears. In essence, I'm done with the biblical defense or interaction on that topic. But let's shift gears and talk about the practical ramifications of having a woman associate pastor. For those who've not been in a church with a woman pastor, we're about to till new ground. And I will tell you, I have never served in a church with a woman on staff in pastoral staff position. So this is new for me as well. I've known many women who are associate type pastoral roles and different things, but I've never served with one in a church. Many of us may have no context for what it will look like to have an associate pastor role filled by Jesse. 
Let me take a few minutes now to flesh some of this out. First, it's important to understand that our church has been shepherded for years by a woman. And nobody that I know of gave it a second thought. Laura Kamarek, our worship director, have served in this role for 10 years. She has led us in singing praises to God and has proclaimed the word of God through reading scripture and through sharing her spirit-led perspectives. Although we've not given her the title pastor, she has served in a pastoral role. She has cared for our souls by helping us to worship God in spirit and in truth. Furthermore, Laura has led her entire team of women and men, directing them in the songs selected and teaching them a biblical perspective of worship. Also note, if Laura were to go through the process of getting licensed by the Alliance, we would gladly give her the title Worship Pastor. Hopefully just understanding this reality of Laura's leadership here will help some of you get your mind around what it will look like to have Jesse as an associate pastor. Jesse will be a key leader in our church who is tasked with helping develop our leaders in adult ministries. She'll meet with connection group leaders, men's ministry leaders, prayer ministry leaders, and encore leaders to encourage them, strategize with them, and support their efforts to lead their groups. She's not there to exercise authority over them, but to come alongside them and help them successfully lead and disciple the people in their ministries. Again, authority lies with the elders, not with Jesse. She will also be working closely with me and the elders in creating new avenues for our church to engage in discipleship practices and will be the key leader implementing any new discipleship ministries. As for counseling, just like me, she may meet with a member of the opposite sex in appropriately public places to encourage and seek the Spirit's direction for their life. But she won't meet with them for the purpose of dealing with intimately personal matters. I am very much looking forward to having a woman pastor that I can suggest that other women in our church go to for intimate matters and also look forward to accepting men that Jesse sends my way. Another area to keep in mind is that we expect Jesse will on occasion conduct baptism and lead communion. Again, this is a responsibility of the elders and we must and the elders must ensure these ordinances are followed in accordance with scripture. But we are able to delegate them to staff and leaders as we see fit. With Jesse's experience, training, and the role she's stepping into, serving in these areas is acceptable and expected. In addition, she will be preaching two to four Sundays a year. As you know, I like to get a lot of different voices in the pulpit, and we are blessed as a church to have many who are capable of preaching. Shalem Velpula, Ray Simon, Rich Brown, Becky Erickson, Penny Proshel, Tim Eisenberg, our intern, and our elders are all potential in-house pulpit supply for us. Jesse, as our associate pastor, will preach periodically, but not every Sunday I'm gone or I'm taking a break. Now, just a quick note on what Jesse won't be doing. Jesse is not an elder. She may on occasion attend an elder meeting in order to give report of her ministry, but she will not be a regular attender. 
Jesse will not be hired as my replacement when the day eventually comes that I am called to step down. Unlike the title pastor, the title lead pastor is equated by the alliance to the role of elder and as such must be a male. Jesse does not have the authority to exercise discipline on a member of our church. That is the exclusive duty of the elder board. Jesse does not hold the weight of responsibility for the health of the church. She is certainly to assist us in developing its health, but if it doesn't happen, it's not her fault. While Jesse will be involved in a lot of different areas with all the staff of our church, she is not responsible for all areas or for staff. The primary area of responsibility she has is in adult ministries and more generally over the, over the discipleship strategies of all areas of ministry. This means she will be the key leader in adult ministries and a support to the other areas in regard to discipleship, but she does not oversee other pastoral staff. It is the expectation of the elders and me that the men and women of our church respect Jesse, for the God-given gifts she's possess, she possesses, and that we would honor the delegated role the elder board has hired her to do. Anyone who serves under her leadership, accepts her ideas, and submits to her direction is being obedient to God's word in Ephesians 5.21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is what it says. This verse comes right before Paul's famous passage addressing wives submitting and husbands loving. But the whole chapter before we get to the wives and husbands section is about how we are to relate to each other in the church. And Paul concludes this beautiful description of how Christians should behave and how we should fellowship together by encouraging us all to submit to one another. This is not an appeal to only submit to men or the elders. It's an appeal to respect one another, to recognize we all have the Holy Spirit, we all have differing gifts and abilities, and therefore we should all submit one to another. Indeed, as Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 20, verses 25 and 26, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. As Jesse seeks to serve us, let us each look for opportunities to serve her and her family well. As I come to the end of this message where I've tried to address the very real tensions that lie in our differing understandings of what God's word teaches us about women serving in pastoral roles. I want to invite us all to choose fellowship and unity. Division is all around us and it's so easy to allow our differences to drive us apart. Despite my amazing explanation of this topic, <laughs> There certainly are some who will remain unconvinced. Their conviction that God does not allow for women to serve as pastors has not dissolved, and they firmly believe we are making a mistake. For those in this position, you need to know I love you.
I respect your convictions. It's my hope and prayer that you would choose to remain. I would imagine there are others who still feel <clears throat> a bit uneasy about it all and not sure what to believe. I love and respect you as well and would encourage you to do more reading on this topic as the Lord directs. But even more so, I would ask you to jump into ministry with Jesse and see how it goes. Sometimes the only way to get past the awkward stage is to just dive in with both feet. On the other end, there may be some who are concerned that we don't allow women elders. I love and respect your position as well. And I'd ask you to choose unity and fellowship with this church. Don't allow a disagreement on a debatable topic be the reason for division. In conclusion, church, here's my heart. It seems to be there are God-fearing, Bible-believing, spirit-empowered leaders and theologians that hold a wide variety of positions on women serving as pastors. The very fact that this is true seems to be evidence that not only is this topic a gray issue, it is not one to divide over. Certainly, we need to continue to hold a high view of Scripture and seek to do our best to understand the valuable truths that lie within. And yes, there are reasons to divide, even from our fellow believers. But for 500 plus years, since the Reformation, the body of Christ has discovered hundreds of strongly held theological con convictions that demand we cease fellowshipping together. Perhaps it's time for us to stop focusing on the ways we think differently and start celebrating all the ways we are in agreement. I pray and hope you will pray along with me Jesus' prayer, John 17, 20 to 21. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you. Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Thank you, church, for listening, for caring, and for choosing to join me in joining Jesus as he builds and strengthens his kingdom. Will you stand and let's go into some time of worship. Oh, Jesus, we do love you. We thank you for your amazing goodness. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we want to respond with love of our own. Lord, it's uh, because you first loved us that we get to love you in return. And so Lord, help us to continue to do that. Lord, we do thank you for uh, what you're doing in our church and what you have been doing throughout the last year or two now at least. And, and now what we expect and anticipate is coming in the near future. Uh, but Lord, we also thank you for uh, the fact that we have people that have different thoughts and different perspectives, Lord. If we all thought the same, then what's the purpose, right? And uh, true unity, it comes 
comes in diversity. True unity comes when we have differing ideas or perspectives on things, yet choose to remain in uh, fellowship with one another. And Lord, I know this is a contentious issue for some, and I just encourage you to continue to encourage them. That, Lord, you would lead and direct them, and I know you have to this point. And Lord, that you would continue to convict them with what they, you have for them in this time. Lord, I trust you in that, and I trust uh, what you're doing in me and in our elder board and in the alliance and in our church. I trust that this is the direction that you've led us to, and, and I just uh, look forward to seeing how you use it to uh, have your will done in our church, Lord, and how you empower Jesse to serve in these roles, and how you empower Becky as well as she continues to serve in her role. Thank you, Lord, that you've brought these uh, high-quality individuals into our church. Lord, people with giftings and experience, but most of all, people to just love you desperately. And Lord, I pray that that would continue to grow in our hearts, that all of us, as we continue to commune with one another and seek to know and understand and enjoy you more, that we will, that our intimacy, that our, that our desire for you will continue to grow. And as that desire for you grows, that you will lead us to help you in joining you in building your kingdom. To close, uh, Colossians 3, verse 12 and the following, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, oh, how I love Jesus one more time. And then you'll be dismissed. And again, I encourage you to come for prayer um, if you would like to pray. Uh, if you have questions about this message, if you want the, the transcript, let me know. We can talk about more. There's so many other questions that we can talk about. Anyway, but uh, let's fellowship together. Let's worship together. Let's come back together next week and celebrate all that God's been doing. Thank you, church. Let's sing.